Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Rule Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each week we review one picture book and one chapter book. We've started off with the books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book that you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchable at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchblePod and on Instagram we are Even the Trunchbull. And we're back with our first episode of the new year! Yay! Yay. Happy New Year, everyone! Very lovely to be back. Yeah. We've had a little hibernation break, but we're excited to be back in your ears with tons of new books to talk about. Well, well, eight. Between eight and (laughs) twelve new books to talk about. Tons! But first we've got a couple of announcements to make, haven't we? We do, yes. So... Firstly, we're going to start providing transcripts for all of our episodes going forward from this point. Yeah, so we should have been doing this from the beginning, but we didn't think because we're two hearing people. But we're going to put that right. So there's going to be a blog post for each episode with a full transcript so that if you're deaf or hard of hearing or you just prefer to read things rather than listen, that'll be there for you. We'll put a link to the transcript in the show notes. Announcement number two is... Nina has made us a little bookshop.org shopfront, which is lovely. We'll link to that in the show notes too. It's really pretty, isn't it, Matt? It's gorgeous, yeah. Um, I, I had a, a look at it while it was a, a work in progress, but it's it's just really nice. It's really pleasing. You can see all the books we've covered kind of all lined up, hanging out together. If you hear us talking about a book and you'd like to get it, and or you're looking for a way to kick a little bit of money back to us, you can buy it through our shopfront. And then that way we'll make a small commission as well. No pressure to buy through us, though. If you want to support your local bookshop, the best way to do that is still to order from them directly. Yeah, it's really important to stress this, I think, that buying from our shop on bookshop.org... Supports us, not your indie bookshop. If you want to kick a bit of money to us, do. If you want to just go and browse and see the books all together, that's lovely too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's there if you want to have a look anyways. Yeah, and it is nice to look at. Yeah. So, what's the theme for today's show, Matt? Today's show, first of 2021, is Shooting Stars. We're going to start with our picture book, and that is Look Up by Nathan Bryan and Dapo Adiola. So if you've been anywhere near a Waterstones recently, which, I mean, I haven't, because we're not allowed. (laughs) I haven't been anywhere near any things that are not my house. But it is the Waterstones Children's Book of the Year for 2020. You probably have seen this cover. It's really beautiful, isn't it? It's um, Mm. very recognisable. It's this little black girl with big hair and glasses in like a space suit looking up at the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are already fans of Dapo Adiola because he also did the illustrations for Lamar Giles' book, The Last Last Day of Summer. Absolutely. It's a recognisable style, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. So much love given to black bodies, black hair, black faces, um, so much detail. It's lovely. He just draws joy really well. (laughs) Yeah, he does. It's just full of life. So this is a book narrated by a little girl called Rocket, and Rocket is super into space. 
She wears a little space suit. Her cat, Luna, wears a little space suit also. Um, she's full of science facts. She, you Did know, you know? And she, so she starts a lot of sentences like that. Did you know? And then she gives you a little space fact. And she's excited because there is going to be a meteor shower or a shower of shooting stars, as you might say, that night. And so she wants everyone to be as excited about this meteor shower as she is. And her big brother, Jamal is really not excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) Or indeed anything. (laughs) Apart from his phone. Apart from his phone, yeah. He's he's such a, like, well-drawn teenager. He's always got his phone in his hand, even when he's not looking at it. So he looks down as much as Rocket looks up. He's agreed to take her to the park that night to look at the meteor shower. And they have to go to the shops first. And while they're at the shops, Rocket grabs the speaker from like the cashier and makes an announcement over the whole supermarket there's gonna be a meteor shower tonight everyone come out and look she's made some flyers about it she's handing them out and like her brother seems like really embarrassed by it yeah he gets splashed by a car driving past and she's like wouldn't it happen if you'd looked up so then he's in a grump and like threatens not to take her to the park but their mum makes him do it anyway and they wait and they wait and they wait it seems like there's nothing. And loads of other people are there as well. But, like, nothing's happening. People are bored and their necks are sore from looking up. Rocket's feeling really guilty about dragging everyone out to look at an empty sky and she's feeling really sad. And she apologises to her big brother for, like, dragging him out to just look at nothing. But then, just when all hope is lost, the sky lights up with this beautiful meteor shower. And she sits there with her brother Jamal. Who's speechless. Yeah. And he puts down his phone. <laughs> Yeah, he's turned his phone off. So that's the story. She's just a great little character. Like, it's just really... She's really confident, isn't she? Yeah. The interiors are really lovely. Like, even the clutter inside their house. And, like, just the little things. Yeah, there's an attention to detail, for sure. One of my favourite little Easter egg bits was um, when she's doing one of her did-you-knows. And she's sort of, like, stood up on a box in a room kind of going did you know that meteors are dusts in space and she's got all of our toys lined up in front of her and they've all just got a little sticky tag attached to them that say press yeah, little <laughs> press passes it's really cute there's lots of that there's lots of little things to spot in the pictures also when she's talking when she's thinking her sp- her sort of thought bubbles aren't drawn in dapo adiola style they're drawn in rocket style they look like they're done in crayon by a mm. little girl. Mm-mm. That's um, nice, actually. Yeah, I'd not picked up on that. That's, yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah, it's really good. It's full of, like, good, great space facts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... You know, sometimes you get, like, kids' books that are just kind of, like, fact books in disguise? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, there's just a narrative shrouding <laughs> the fact that this is like, yeah. here are some facts about wildlife. I guess it's sort of like toys with that form. Mm. The story drives it and the story's the main thing and it's so in character and it's like... Yeah, it works so well for Rocket's character. I mean, I was one of them that went up and like, did you know there are kids like that? I probably was as well when I was dead little. I liked um, hoarding and like sharing knowledge and facts and stuff. Yeah, Like when I was young enough to not be self-conscious. Yeah, it's that thing of being at that age before self-consciousness hits. Yeah, 
yeah it's just such a like it's such a lovely age like she's dead aware of herself as like a person and mm. you know she's old enough to kind of feel guilty about dragging people out and having yeah. all of that kind of sort of stuff she's got all of that already so it's like getting towards that point but that voice in her head that goes oh maybe other people don't care about this like isn't mm. there yet like why wouldn't everyone want to know that there's a meteor yeah. shower <laughs> Like, <laughs> Why wouldn't everyone in the supermarket want to hear about it? Over which the is tannoy? so cute. That bit's yeah. so cute. And I love how that's <laughs> written because it's like, it's not kind of made explicit what anyone's reaction to that is. So you can kind of just, you can assume what you want to assume. Maybe the checkout girl's really annoyed, but it doesn't say. She might have just been like dead patient. And you can, I can imagine everyone in the <laughs> queue just being like, oh, what a sweetheart. Like <laughs> just going around with these little like hand-drawn flyers. But yeah. But no, she's a she's a just lovely, lovely little character. She's a real co-creation. Nathan Bryan went to Dapper Adiola and was like, right, she's a little black girl, she's got massive hair, and she's got glasses. And yeah. Dapo came up with her, and Nathan Bryan said, it's like he had a cable to my brain. That is exactly <laughs> what I pictured her like. That's great. One of the loveliest little drawings for me is the bit where Rocket's sitting down for her mum to do her hair mm. and she sort of looks a bit restless with it and so her mum's sort of keeping her busy by talking to her about space. Yeah, yeah. And it's really lovely just little look at, like, black domesticity and it's not even in the text. It's just, oh, it's just one of the things we do around the house. We sit still yeah. and her mum does her hair for ages. It's really lovely. Um, there has been a sequel. It's called Clean Up. It's Rocket's family go on holiday to Rocket's grandparents who live by the sea. It's about keeping the beach nice. Nice, nice. Awesome. And Dapo Adiola has a new picture book coming out in June. This is the first one that he's um, written the words for, I think. It's called Hey You. It's a collaboration between him and 18 other black illustrators. Oh, nice. Lush. So keep an eye out for that. Who is Look Up for? From about four or five up yeah. to kind of, I think even up to sort of like eight or nine. I'd go like as low as three. I would say especially for black British children, I think that representation is really important. Yeah, the representation's cool, definitely. Yeah. For anyone who's into space. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or anyone who's into like gorgeous illustration, I think you could pick this up just for the pictures. There is a lovely video on YouTube of Nathan Bryan reading it and then of Dapo Adiola giving a little tutorial on how to draw the cat. If you're homeschooling at the minute with, like, kids kind of below seven or so... Yeah. It's just a nice little sort of six-stage tutorial on how to draw a cat. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll link that in the, in the show notes. So are we ready to move on? Yeah. So tell me what we're reading next, Matt. We're reading Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. This is the story not of Howl initially, but of Sophie Hatter, who lives and works in a hat shop with her two sisters and her stepmom. She's convinced that there is no point in her doing anything with her life because she is the eldest of three. And everyone knows that the eldest of three is doomed to failure. So it kind of becomes a little bit of a book about self 
self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. at first. The hat shop is going under hard times, so the stepmom has to make cuts and she can't keep them all on. And she gets this one of the sisters a apprenticeship in a bakery in town, and the other one's an apprenticeship with a witch up in the countryside to learn that craft. And Sophie gets kept on in the hat shop. And her life just gets kind of smaller and smaller and she gets more yeah. and more kind of inward and retreating and like almost reads a little bit like agoraphobia. Yeah, she gets more and more frightened of leaving the house. And even though her sister Martha is apprenticed at the baker's, which is literally 10 minutes away, she always tells herself she's going to go and then she never ever does and it feels more and more insurmountable. Yeah, it's, it's very familiar to me mm. for like periods where I've been a bit lower where things like that that are really simple just feel quite difficult to do yeah so she's in that kind of state and then this castle starts appearing on the horizon and it's um whisperings of of howl evil wizard howl who eats young women's hearts yeah and sometimes the castle will be over to the north and then it'll disappear and reappear to the east and it's kind of always hovering around and Young girls are told not to go out alone too much, lest they be robbed by Howl, who will who will eat their heart. And there's also a talk of the Witch of the Waste as well. Witch of the Waste, yeah, who is back in the region for the first time in ages, and the last time she was in the region, it was bad. <laughs> it's kind of not specified why, but the fact that the Witch of the Waste is back is bad news. So there's kind of that going on in the background, and then... Sophie has an altercation with a woman who turns out to be the Witch of the Waste, who turns her into an old woman. She puts a curse on her. So Sophie has aged to the age of, like, 90. Yeah. And part of the curse is that she can't tell anyone that she's under a curse. She runs away, basically. I think, you know, it kind of feels like she's in shock and she just leaves. Um... (laughs) And just walks out of town. She can't bear for anyone to see her that way. Yeah, and she just keeps going. You know, she gets this point where she kind of realises that she's not going to get to the next town over the hill and over the moors until after dark, but sort of just doesn't care and decides to keep going. And then once she's up on the moor and it's dark, she's like, oh, this was a really bad idea, actually. Oh, my bones really hurt. It's so sore to be old. Yeah, (laughs) And then the castle appears. So Howl's Moving Castle slides across the countryside and she finds a way in. Because she's not scared anymore, because she's not a young woman. So he's not going to She's not a young woman, heart. so there's no danger. And she thinks, well, he's got magic. Maybe he can lift my curse. Part of the joy of being old, she finds, is that she just doesn't really care anymore <laughs> about what other people think so yeah. much. So she gets into the castle... And there's a fire in the grate and she pulls up a chair alongside it and the fire looks like it's got a face. And then it does, it starts talking and it's a fire demon. I think the the fire demon recognises that she's under a curse and tells her that he's locked into a contract with Howl and they do a deal. The fire demon will break her curse if she can break his. Yeah, and then kind of adventures ensue from there. Howl is basically a sort of 20-something child (laughs) who is always chasing after girls, breaking their hearts and moving on whenever he gets one to fall in love with him and it's this kind of constant cycle. 
and Sophie is allowed to just kind of stay under the pretense of being a cleaner in the house. Yeah. And the story kind of unfolds from there. I don't know whether we need to go much further than that. We don't need to that. go further than that, I don't think. No. And it's beautiful. It's lovely. There's so many twists and turns to the plot, which, despite having read it before, I'd forgotten about and was uh, yeah. hit by all over again. Yeah. I think that's I think that's about as far as we need to go with yeah. that for a synopsis. Yeah. I agree. So, Matt, before we go further, will you describe to me the cover illustration of the book that I sent you? Um, so, so I actually, I quite like this one because I know you've got a I bit have of an, an issue to with... Grind. with <laughs> I thought this might come up because usually the the Diana Wynne Jones cover art gripe is that it feels really dated. This one's far more modern. I qu- I mean I quite like it. So it's just big block capital letters on the front that say Howl's Moving Castle, as you'd imagine, and then just lots of little stylized bits interwoven into that. Yeah. Um, so it's nice. It's a break from what you usually get, but I get the sense you have a gripe nevertheless, I don't like Nina. It. You don't like it. Mm. It's boring. I mean, it's fine. It tells you what it is. My problem with it is that I don't think it is appealing to children. Yeah, no, I can I can see that. It doesn't tell you that it's a fun adventure about a castle rolling across the moors. So what do you want, Nina? Because you don't like the pictorial older stuff and you don't like the stylized ultra-modern... Actually, I like the 70s stuff, but what I th- I don't think right. the 70s stuff does, and I don't think what this stuff does, is appeal to a new generation. Sure. You know, like, the new covers for the Tiffany A. King books, or Maurice, or indeed yeah. the beautiful new Ursula K. Le Guin. I feel like Diana Wynne-Jones deserves to be up there with the other giants of children's fantasy, and I feel like... Yeah, she, I feel like she does get overlooked a bit. Yeah, and I think partly it's because she wrote some books that were really weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this one gets pretty weird. She runs with the conventions of, like, young adult fantasy, deliberately subverts them yeah. as much as possible, right? <laughs> Seems yeah. to be kind of her thing. And I think partly it's because she covered so many different genres within fantasies so she didn't really stick to one thing i think that's maybe partly it and also she didn't seem to be interested in being a celebrity writer very much she was Mm. interested in being a jobbing writer so she wrote a lot there are lots of books oh she's prolific like yeah i feel like though that like the most especially this one i mean this is her most famous book and to be fair there is a beautiful folio society edition and that is beautiful but it's also 45 quid so you're right. not going to buy that yeah. <laughs> to introduce someone to Diana Wynne-Jones, you know? Yeah, I, I yeah, want yeah. a cover that when a young person who is not aware of who she is walks into a bookshop, they see it and feel drawn to it. And I don't think these like big graphic type ones do it. Have you written in yet, Nina? I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we've got that out of the way. What? <laughs> Shall we go back to one of our regularly recurring segments, which is Matt's Gender Corner? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a whole gendered aspect to this story. So Howell is a fairly effeminate man, mm-hmm. spends a lot of time in the bathroom, is obsessed with making himself beautiful and winning over the hearts of girls who he can then abandon. Apparently, Diana Wynne-Jones 
the idea for the character of Howell came about when her son became a teenager and started spending quite a lot of time in the bathroom (laughs) and it really, really annoyed her. I think that's really nice. It's really interesting in terms of gender because that kind of, on the face of it, effeminate, feminine trait of self-care and self-beautification, spending loads of time in the bathroom. Actually, that just completely undercuts that because you go, no, actually, that is an absolute staple of a lot of teenage boys, right? It's (laughs) sort of whole I mean so I think yeah, that's that's an interesting one in terms of gender for sure. But you also had some ideas in terms of uh Sophie. Yeah. What happens to Sophie with the aging curse is that she gets relieved of her gender, sort of. In that being old and I suppose this is a real thing that happens to old people, and it's not always positive. But being old sort of de-sexes her. Mm. It, having been a young woman, I am now an old hag, but having been a young woman, there are aspects of being a young woman, especially under a patriarchy, that are really scary. And mm. you can tell, like, part of Sophie's character at the beginning, when she's not even able to, like, scrape up the wherewithal to go and visit her sister at the bakery... She's scared of the world, and to be fair, you know, it has been said there's an awful witch out there and there is a man who likes to eat young girls' hearts. Yeah. And there's this sort of suggestion of sexual violence, right? It's not actually made explicit, but she is scared of men. And when she goes yeah. out on May Day and people offer her drinks, she is terrified. There's a whole bustling kind of festival environment and all of the yeah. men are out kind of scouting for girls and there's like one young lad who kind of tries to drag her aside and yeah and she's so frightened yeah and it is scary the way it's written like you get that sense of and she feels like oh she's not as pretty as her sisters and they're good at being young women and she's kind of not and she hides herself in these dowdy clothes you know and Mm. she wears hats that don't suit her and that don't look good because i think she's almost frightened of her attractiveness Mm. The fact that she could attract somebody, that like somebody might do something to try and get with her. That she could be visible. I think, you know, she's yeah. kind of so she's so self-defeating this whole thing about like not trying anything because she's the eldest. She's kind of written off her own life. Yeah. So yeah. it's that idea that anyone would see her mm. is kind of part of the thing that seems to terrify her, maybe. And then she's turned into an old woman and then people kind of don't see her. And it's yeah. great. Like, it's really liberating for her. And she's way more, yeah. <laughs> and she's yeah, suddenly and suddenly really she's confident. so snarky and she's so yeah. cheeky. Like, what does Howell call her? Mrs. Nose, because she's always sticking her big nose places it's not wanted. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and she basically insinuates herself into the castle. She doesn't ask if she can stay. She just, like, comes there and then she lives there. Yeah, she's kind of expecting to be kicked out and it, she just isn't. And then Michael, who's the young apprentice who Howell has, is like, to be fair, that's kind of what happened to me as well. Like, I just kind of turned up on the doorstep and after about three months, he was like, seeing as you're living here now, do you want to be my apprentice? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because Howell doesn't make decisions. He doesn't do anything. Yes, he's a slitherer-outerer. Deciding to (laughs) kick someone out would be decision-making and that's not within his character. When she's like walking out, to like seek her fortune or whatever when people address her she sort of has fun freaking them out a bit 
Like, there's yeah. this old farmer guy who's like, you all right, old mother? And she's like, I'm not your mother. And he's like, all right, yeah. just a figure of speech. And, like, she's tempted to, like, shout a made-up spell after him and frighten him. Because he she's clearly like, thinks she's a witch because she's yeah. just an old woman who's wandering off into the yeah. wastes. At, like, she realises that she's got this, like, new and different power. and But a new perspective as well, because I think, like, that bit with the farmer at the beginning when she's, like... A young man of barely 40. A nice young man of, yeah, like, barely 40 walking up towards her and realises that the day before she'd have seen him as impossibly old. old you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great perspective shift. And there's all the bits about her old body as well. They're like, oh, these bits really creak. And, oh, my heart can't always cope. Oh, this yeah. is a pain. But I am quite a hale and healthy old woman But she sort all. of just, yeah, she sort of gets on with it. I suppose yeah. whereas, like, being young, she has all of this potential that she's not using. As an old woman, there's less she can do, but she's doing more. Like, she's yeah. working right up to the limits of what she can do and kind of pushing beyond it. Yeah. I think she's not worried about being judged. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Shall we talk about um, the shooting star in this story? It's this very, like, serious undertaking to try to catch a shooting star. It's like getting an immortal pet or something. Or yeah. having a child. You're suddenly yeah, yeah. responsible for this other life that is tied to yours. Yeah, totally. But I I love as well that that's kind of stumbled on by accident because mm. it's just Sophie and Michael trying to decipher this spell. It's this list of seemingly impossible things and eventually they're like, why don't we just take this literally? Like, yeah. let's go and catch a shooting star. And they've got some seven league boots, which are brilliant. They're such <laughs> great fun. The idea of seven league boots is a thing, right? She hasn't made yeah. this up. But she's made them work mechanically in a very inconvenient way. These are just like buckets that you like strap on over your own shoes. <laughs> and every time you take a step, you go seven league. Yeah, she takes a lot of like fantasy concepts and then makes them very practical. Yeah. And sometimes in ways that don't work very well. Yeah. Which I really like. <laughs> I want to read this bit out because this is one of my favourite bits and the funniest bits. Um, so Sophie's in the castle, it's rolling along the hills, there's a knock on the door, and she's a bit worried about people knocking on the door. But So she opens the door and there's a dog, and here's the passage. A huge spindly greyhound leaped off the hillside between the grinding black blocks of the castle and landed in the middle of the room. Sophie had always been nervous of dogs, and greyhounds are not reassuring to look at. This one put itself between her and the door and stared at her. The dog bent its already bent back and somehow hoisted itself onto its lean hind legs. That made it almost as tall as Sophie. Then, as Sophie opened her mouth to yell to howl, the creature put out what was obviously an enormous effort and surged upwards into the shape of a man in a crumpled brown suit. He had gingerish hair and a pale, unhappy face. And then he like manages to say three words and then <laughs> morphs back yeah, down into a different dog. It's a, it's a good example of what you're talking about. Is taking this idea of like transfiguration and like he's not quite a werewolf, but he's a he's a man under a curse, isn't he? Who's like turned yeah. into a dog, and he can turn himself back, but it's like it really requires hard. effort. Like <laughs> it's just really frustrating. Like, <laughs> sort of turns himself into a man and goes, I've got something to tell you, it's really important. Oh, no! And then he's back in with dog again. <laughs> he's not even the same dog. <laughs> it's just a random dog, Cass. <laughs> but anyway, we've gone on a big tangent, haven't we? Because we were talking about shooting stars. Oh, yeah. They use the seven league boots. 
to go out into the marshes at night and they're waiting for ages staring at the sky. Much like Look Up, <laughs> it's yes. the most similar bit. And then they spot one and they've run in the boots. I think you should read this bit out, Matt. Sometime later, Michael said, you go home, Sophie. It's my spell after all. Sophie had her mouth open to say that this was a very good idea when one of the stars came unstuck from the firmament and darted in a white streak down the sky. There's one! Sophie shrieked instead. Michael thumped his foot into his boot and was off. Sophie braced herself with a stick and was off a second later. Zip! Squash! Down far out in the marshes, with mist and emptiness and dull glimmering pools in all directions. Sophie stabbed her stick into the ground and managed to stand still. Michael's boot was a dark blot standing just beside her. Michael himself was a sploshy sound of madly running feet somewhere ahead. And there was the falling star. Sophie could see it, a little white descending flame shape a few yards beyond the dark movements that were Michael. The bright shape was coming down slowly now, and it looked as if Michael might catch it. Sophie dragged her shoe out of the boot. Come on, stick, she crowed. Get me there. And she set off at top hobble, leaping across tussocks and staggering through pools with her eyes on that little white light. By the time she caught up, Michael was stalking the star with soft steps, both arms out to catch it. Sophie could see him outlined against the star's light. The star was drifting level with Michael's hands and only a step or so beyond. It was looking back at him nervously. How odd, Sophie thought. It was made of light. It lit up a white ring of grass and reeds and black pools round Michael. And yet it had big anxious eyes peering backwards at Michael and a small pointed face. Sophie's arrival frightened it. It gave an erratic swoop and cried out in a shrill, crackling voice. What is it? What do you want? Sophie tried to say to Michael, do stop, it's terrified, but she had no breath left to speak with. I only want to catch you, Michael explained. I won't hurt you. No, no, the star crackled desperately. That's wrong, I'm supposed to die. But I could save you if you'd let me catch you, Michael told it gently. No, cried the star, I'd rather die. It dived away from Michael's fingers. Michael plunged for it, but it was too quick for him. It swooped for the nearest marsh pool and the black water leaped into a blaze of whiteness for just an instant. Then there was a small, dying sizzle. When Sophie hobbled over, Michael was standing watching the last light fade out of a little round lump under the dark water. It's really sad. Well, that's the next lines. That was sad, Sophie yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, also just beautifully written, right? Mm. Like, yeah. I never remember the plot of things that I read when I was little, but the images, that image of them out on the marshes, yeah. I had that to call back on so precisely because it's just it's so so nicely described. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about her relationship with her sisters. I think it's really great. Sophie's always thought of herself as the sensible one because she's older and they're sort of like bright and sparky and beautiful and naughty and got big, big futures ahead of them. And then when she does finally go to see her sister at the bakery, she's like, oh, we always knew you were so oppressed and downtrodden. (laughs) Yeah. We didn't know what would happen to you when we left. We knew you'd just let yourself get walked all over. Really worried about you just being left with stepmom, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and Sophie's sort of embarrassed to think, oh, it's not like how I thought it was. 
I wasn't keeping mm. them right. They were keeping me right. But I've so much in my identity as the oldest and the responsible one that I hadn't realised that they think about me as well. Yeah. I think about them and they yeah, think yeah. about me. And it's just such a loving relationship between the three of them. You lose that sort of three sisters thing in the film in favour of a lot of war machinery. Are we segueing into the film? There was a very famous... You've probably seen it. If you've heard of Howl's Moving Castle, chances are you've heard of the Studio Ghibli film. And it is beautiful. Yeah. What most people think of when they think of Howl's Moving Castle is this film. So it's Hayao... Hayao Miyazaki's film, yeah. Yeah, who's the guy who did Spirited Away as well. He's like one of the most sort of known, prominent anime directors in... And it's beautiful. If you want to have a look at the village or the hillside or the castle, the design of the castle is brilliant. My problem with it is that it takes it from being this sort of whimsical, relationship-led, character-led story into, like, a war epic. Yeah. Yeah, it's a war film. Yeah. It's a steampunk war film. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I rewatched it last night, having reread the book. First time I watched the film, I think I didn't remember the book so much. I was like, "Oh, this is nice." I'd forgotten that this story was all about war. And then, having reread the book and then rewatched the film, I'm like, "Wow, you've really played fast and loose with what this story is about." It's kind of it's a. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of art in its own right, mm-hmm. and is kind of loosely based. Based on the story so loosely, where it almost feels like just a complete reimagining. It's very steampunk, isn't it? Because it's mm. kind of like a little medieval village, but there's like trams These and steam machines. trains and yeah. big, like steam belching battleships. It's a Second World War film. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And my problem with what it does with Howl is it makes Howl a war hero. And the thing about Howl is he's not a hero. Going to these. Uh, interview questions in the back of the book I've got with Dinah Wynne-Jones and as I'd hoped they might they ask her about the film and it seems quite clear that she was a bit narked at first that it was all about war but she kind of sort of says you know it's amazing that someone has just taken my bit of art and made this new sort of standalone incredible bit of art what I thought was really interesting is she was saying that she basically says, me and Hayao Miyazaki both grew up during a war and we've had quite different responses to that. Basically, a lot of Diana Wynne-Jones stuff, there is a war happening somewhere just on the peripheries, just out of view, whereas Hayao Miyazaki's stuff delves much more directly into war. So I yeah. thought that was interesting. I, I think that's really well done. I think, you know, as a second world war film set in a fantasy world it does that it's just that that's not at all what the book it was based on is about so um matt who's this book for i'm trying to think how old i was when i first read it i think i was probably nine i was a fairly precocious reader i'd go from precocious eight or nine upwards i mean it's fairly accessibly written like basically once once you're at an age where you're comfortable reading to yourself like a novel's length book Mm. it's there's nothing in it that would be at all inaccessible or inappropriate yeah there's nothing inappropriate in it whilst touching on subjects like fear of sexual assault and um bad relationship management 
completely appropriate. It's not at all explicit. It's it's great. So that was episode 17 of Even the Trunchbull. Thanks for listening. Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid. Or love now as a kid. Let us know or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchbullPod and on Instagram at eventhetrunchbull. Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone because we've all been kids. Even Even the the Trunchbull. Trunchbull.